as you know, the past two weeks have been extremely heavy. Um, our, compu- our communities are wrestling with the, the pain and the grief from the murder of George Floyd. And not only the murder of George Floyd, but just too many of our black siblings. Um, justice has not been served. Uh, and so last week we had the opportunity to hear from Conrad. Conrad, we thank you so much for being vulnerable and just sharing with us just the tip of the iceberg of what it's like for you as a black man living in America and the hurt and pain that you deal with uh, on a on a daily basis. Um, so as we, uh, as a church, as we continue listening, learning, and repenting of our silence and apathy, um, we have an opportunity again this week to hear from from Chris Reese. Um, so prior to quarantine, I'm sure some of you have crossed paths with Chris. Uh, Chris was actually uh, taking the illumination class uh, to become a member at City Light. Um, so he was on the cusp of becoming a member, but we hit quarantine. So um, I can't wait until we're all back together in the same space so that we can officially welcome Chris in as a member as he takes his vows. So with that, I would like to turn our attention to Chris um, and just hear what his experience is like on a daily basis. Being a black man in America, what has your experience of that been like? You are marginalized. Um, You are stereotyped. You are uh, perceived as a threat a lot of times. You stand out. And, you know, that's not always a good thing. I'm a very pro-black person. I love being black. Um, There's a lot of pride that comes with that. Um, But there's a lot of pain that comes with it as well. A lot of history of oppression just throughout. You open the book, no matter what chapter you land on, it's going to be a lot of tough stuff in there. My experience alone can be looked at as a story in, in, in the black experience, but I also carry the history that has be, been reiterated to me. Carrying all that with you, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging. With the death of George Floyd and the protests, how are you processing these last two weeks? You kind of develop a callus at a certain point to, to, to these types of stories, like nothing changes afterwards. So um, I, I could admit that a callus has been uh, developed over my heart. Uh, this one hit hard in particular just because it wasn't like an impulsive bang shot from a cop, he's dead. It was a drawn out, concentrated um effort to hurt this man and eventually kill him. It, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. It hurts seeing any human being uh, whose life is taken. But it hurts even more when it's a black man at the hands of a white man who is ironically supposed to be protecting you. Protect and serve is what is the is the 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 motto of the police departments across the nation, the, the hypocrisy in, uh, in that motto and the actions and behaviors that are actually carried out are what infuriate me. And, and anybody I would imagine that um, is, is touched by this story. Have you had your own experience with police brutality or 
uh, interactions with the police that were negative? Yeah, I would say I've been pulled over at least 20 times. Most of it was was before I moved here to L.A. I had a 1987 Grand Fury. I guess it was a suspicious car. The ironic thing is I, I inherited that car from my coach, a white man, who drove it before I got it. And I would argue that he probably did not get pulled over nearly as much as I did in that car. I can't remember the, the excuses for getting pulled over were. I never got a ticket, though. But, you know, driving while black is a crime in the streets, apparently. So that's something that that's a part of the callus. That's a part of the callus that develops. Um, being a black man in America, you know, it's just something you kind of get used to. On a residential street looking for parking, um, I was pulled over and was told that um, I looked suspicious, like I was looking for somebody to mug. They asked to search the car. I told them, I know my rights. You need a search warrant for that. They said, okay, well, we'll call for a search warrant. But in the meantime, you're going to be handcuffed and you're going to be put in the back of the, of the police unit. And um, I'm claustrophobic, so that kind of got to me after about 20 minutes. Um, they did find a, a pair of of handcuffs of my own that I had got as a gift, a birthday gift from a friend that were in the glove compartment. And then they uh, saw that as suspicious. Eventually, they let me go after about an hour of this. It was me and my friend at the time, who's a black man. He's six, five. You know, he was a football teammate of mine. So he's six, five, probably 300 pounds or so. So I'm sure that didn't help, you know. Maybe if I had a white friend, it would have helped. But I'll always remember that one because I was a freshman in college and that was my first time, like, really having that type of experience with the cops. Um, Another time, I went uh, river rafting with um, a group of friends. It was this big thing that a bunch of people would do during the summer. My black friend and another friend of mine who was Filipino, uh, he, they had gotten to a, uh, an argument and I guess it looked like it might have gotten physical, you know, so somebody called the cops. I don't know who my friend left the scene. Um, I was still there by the time the cops came and then they immediately thought that I was that guy. So, so he was, you know, six, one, 300 pounds. And so, uh, you know, the, there is really no resemblance aside from the fact that we have darker skin. Uh, but, you know, I got handcuffed, put in the back of the car while they ran my records. Those are the two that stand out. I, I, I tend to, like, try to brush a lot of stuff into the recesses of my mind. You know, it's not worth holding on to a lot of that stuff. But those are the two that will always stand out. Chris, how, how can non-black people be an ally? To you? I would start with the acknowledgement that most people, even if you are not racist, still have subconscious elements of racism, whether it's um, in the preconceived notions about a certain type of person, about black people. So, yeah, we can start there because, you know, I, I remember I went to all white high school, all, all white and Asian high school. There's about maybe 10 of us in a school of 1,600 uh, students. 
I was able to see a lot of subtleties in um in how people think, how people talk to me, etc. A lot of racist attitudes will come out in Freudian slips, which a lot of times are masked in humor. The thing about comedy is a lot of people can say things that that are close to their heart, but because it's dressed up in a joke, people let it slide and and that person is is a lot is allowed to just continue harboring those types of thoughts um, and is never checked on it because people don't think that he's serious. He or she is serious. Is the lie your humor race based? You know, if so, you might want to do some reevaluating about what you truly think about other people that are not the same uh, race as you. There's so many atrocities that have taken place in regard to this country and black people. Like, I don't even know where to start. But if you start from the very beginning, you know, the country's origins are, are, are rooted in subjugation, racism, white supremacy, etc. It's rooted in that. How you start anything is going to be indicative of how you how you continue, you know, how, the first step that you, you take into anything is going to be very representative of how you continue that journey. You know, if you do your history, it will it will put you in a position to not be so calloused or be so negligent to atrocities that are still happening today. Because I think a lot of times people in the non-black community, they cast, the, they cast these atrocities off as, as one-offs, isolated incidents. And when you really do your homework, you, you start to realize like, no, this is just a pattern, a, a long drawn out pattern that's been taking place since the beginning of this country. When you consider the, the attitude of black people in America towards our freedom, our justice, our, our uh, equality, there's hope in it, but there's a sense of, I don't want to say hopelessness, I don't think that's the right word, but there, there's a sense of resentment, you know, and maybe I can't speak for everybody, but there is a sense of resentment that I challenged someone who does their research, deep diving research into the history of the country, I challenge them not to have as well because nothing has changed. Sure, slaves were emancipated, but I mean, if you know anything about the struggle, you know that that didn't do much in the way of really granting black people equality in the country. Uh, Jim Crow laws followed that. Uh, sure, the civil rights movement came after the Jim Crow period, but if you know anything about history, you know that there have been concentrated efforts to keep black people at a certain level, economically speaking, socioeconomically speaking. You know, mass incarceration. You, you have uh, a, a disproportionate amount of, of homelessness 
that is that are black faces. If you want to be an ally of the black community, educate yourself on all the things um, that have been tossed in the way of black people's progression. Check yourself, check your friends, check your family on these subtle microaggressions um, that indicate some type of bigoted or racist mindset. Diversify your group of friends. Diversify your workplace. Diversify your church. Reevaluate what you're watching and what you're listening to and, and, and who you're hanging around to make sure it's diverse and, and that you have as, as well-rounded of a perspective as possible. I think the enemy to being the ally of a black community is getting yourself in a bubble where the same thoughts are, are echoed. You're in an echo chamber and you're, you're only getting the same thoughts and notions that you already have. How does your, uh, your experience as a black man relate to your faith in Christ? I mean, the story of, of the Israelites and, and the black people in this nation, is, it goes hand in hand. It's so similar. You would almost think that we're the Jews. I, I'm just saying. But you, you go through centuries of slavery and oppression, concentrated oppression. When I read the Bible, it, it's, you know, they say the Bible is the mirror. It's, you know, you, you read about yourself in the Bible. And so I see that as so true. And I see it as a glimmer of hope because there's a lot of, of stories of triumph in the Bible. That, that gives me hope. That gives me a lot of, uh, a lot to continue fighting for with the, the knowledge and the power that, that God instills. Um, He's not going to just uh, cast us off, you know, by the wayside. Uh, even when we mess up, you know, personally, we can always come back to him. And, and when we when we when we come back as the prodigal son, he's going to dress us in the, the finest linen and um, and and welcome us back with with open arms. Our story is 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 so synonymous with with what you'll read in the Bible and so that it gives me more faith just to read about the struggle of of the Israelites and um and to know that they came out and won in the end and you know when when everything is said and done we're, we're going to win in the end we have a God that's looking out for us and and fighting on our behalf and you know particularly the story of Jesus and how he was uh cast aside or he was an outcast it, it, it gives you more confidence that although things don't look like they're in your favor, don't let that fool you. That's an illusion. Things haven't been in our favor for a long time here in this country. And, um, you know, a lesser man would would give up. But that's one thing about our people that, that I'm really proud to to hold close is, you know, our sense of resiliency. No matter how hard they try to keep us down, you know, we, we keep fighting and we keep rising. They hated Jesus and he was he was God on earth. So when they hate us, I'm not going to let that get me down or let me let that keep me down. Um, I'm going to rise up and and I know who's on my side at the end of the day. Good morning, City Light Church. The scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel 6, 6 to 10, and verses 16 to 28. This is a reading of God's word. 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had, he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now in verse 16, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of the day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, their lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. That's a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning as we gather before you with all your people. We ask that you would bless this reading of your word and the preaching and the teaching of it. Would it be powerful? Would it be spirit-filled? Would it change us? We, uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to give a, a shout-out to Conrad and Chris for allowing me to interview them. Uh, and we filmed that all in one day, and we were showing that uh, today, Chris's interview today. And I want to thank them for their courage, for their vulnerability. And I think it meant a lot to people to hear their voices. And at City Light, we're not done with this discussion. Um, it's really a core part of our value that we want to be a cross-cultural church. And this is just the beginning of our continuing work of seeking uh, to build a culture that is 
uh, inclusive uh, a culture that really understands the dynamics of race and our faith in our church and in our city. And so we're going to have more conversations like this throughout the uh, throughout the month and throughout the years. And I pray that uh, we would continue to build a church uh, that reflects Christ in His kingdom. One of the reasons we're looking back, looking at this book of Daniel, is that it's really written in a time of great uncertainty. It's written in a time of great upheaval, where a lot of people are fearful. And we're looking at the book of Daniel because it gives us a perspective of how to live in midst of uncertainty, how to live by faith. And Daniel is a, an excellent book because it shows us how to live courageously in times of trouble. Daniel is a group of uh, Daniel is about a group of men who were taken from their home, deported into a place in another nation, Babylon. But instead of Instead of being destroyed, they actually thrive. They don't just survive this ordeal, they thrive. Uh, today we're looking at the most famous passage in Daniel. Uh, this is about Daniel in the lion's den. And it really is, in many sense, the crowning achievement of Daniel. This is the last real story in Daniel. The rest of it is prophecy. Uh, and this last story really summarized Daniel's life and legacy. It's his crowning achievement. And it really teaches us about character. Daniel was a man of excellent character. He was in, man, in a time of tumultuous uh, upheaval. He's, he's a man who stood up. He's a man of faithfulness. And today we're going to look at that idea of character and how we can build character. A character is so important, especially in times of trouble. It's so important in times of uncertainty because during this difficult time, our city and our church need men and women of character. We need people who can stand up, who can speak truth. We need people who can have faith when all seems lost. Today we're going to learn about character. We're going to talk about three things that have to do with character. We're going to look at the test of character, the path to character, and what it's all built on God's character. Those three things. And the first thing that we're going to look at is this test of character. Throughout this series, we've been looking at the book of Daniel, and we've been tracking Daniel's journey. Uh, when Daniel uh, 1, we first meet Daniel, he's a young man. He's a teenager. By the time we get to Daniel 6, Daniel is actually an older man. He's an older man. He's been through a whole lot. He's been on a journey. As chapter 6 begins... Uh, Daniel has outlasted various kings. He's actually outlasted the empire, the Babylonian empire. At chapter 6, a new empire has taken over the Persian empire. There's a new king in town, King Darius. As he sits on the throne, his posture is very different from the Babylonian kings. Instead of being an adversary, King Darius is an ally. He believes in Daniel. He respects Daniel's God, and he wants to promote Daniel. Uh, Daniel, as chapter 6 opens, is a part of King Darius's cabinet. He has 120 cabinet members, but he plans on promoting Daniel to be the right-hand man, number one out of those 120. And this caused all kinds of unrest amongst Daniel's peers, the other men in his cabinet, because, number one, they're jealous 
Here's Daniel with all his shine, and he's about to get to the top. He's going where they all wanted to be. Secondly, uh, Daniel is making them all look bad. Uh, in verse 4, these 119 other cabinet members, they conspire against Daniel. They do oppositional research. They investigate Daniel's life to find any kinks in his armor, to find any flaws so that they can exploit it. But they can find nothing. Uh, they say that after all that research, they find that he is faithful and no error or fault was in him. And this causes them to get even more anxious, to plot even more. And why is that? And it's because that uh, Daniel uh, is a threat to expose their own corruption. You know, in the ancient times, uh, government officials were often corrupt. They often overtaxed. They often aligned their own pockets. They are often like many government officials today. We see scandals all the time of politicians, city council members who are exposed for accepting bribes or kickbacks, who sell stocks out of insider information, who are bought by special interests. And that's all a part of what we see in Daniel's time. And because Daniel might ascend to this place of great prominence, he threatens to expose all of them. That's one of the reasons why they are probably conspiring. The third reason why they're conspiring is racism. You know, it's interesting because we saw this earlier in chapter 2 when Daniel's friends are being promoted. It's interesting how they are treated, how they are referred to. In chapter 2, they're referred to as some Jews set over your affairs. Here in chapter 6, Daniel is referred to as some exile from Judah. And all of these men are using nationalistic language. These guys are foreigners. These Jewish guys. These outsiders. These exiles. And there was a fear of that foreigner taking their job. There's a fear of this certain people, this certain race. Racism isn't something new. Something not just American, but it's been with us since ancient times. And all of those reasons are reasons why they want to bring Daniel down. They hire oppositional research and they realize that they, they cannot bring him down through legitimate means. So their plan is to lead, to let his virtue, use his virtue against him. They know Daniel was a man of absolute religious conviction. So what do they do? They go to the king and they ask him to pass a law. This law prohibits anyone from praying uh, to any god except King Darius for 30 days. And the punishment of breaking that law would be the lion's den. And further and finally, uh, nobody can change this law. And this is one of the ideas of nobody is above the law, not even the king. This is a law that nobody can change. No one will be above this law. Dan, uh, King Darius signs it. It might, might puff up his pride, his ego. It might unite the country. That's one of the things that we've seen in Daniel. When Daniel hears about this new law, well, he has a choice to make. He could 
uh, would he refuse to pray at the cost of his life? He could understandably uh, rationalize the idea of not praying for 30 days. Well, it's just a month, a month of not praying. He could have rationalized that, or he could have uh, prayed in secret. He could have prayed in secret. Daniel was under pressure. What would he do? Would he compromise? Would he rationalize? You know, we're living in a time now when Christianity is increasingly unpopular. Unpopular. Many people consider it to be very narrow-minded, bigoted even. It's easy just to be quiet then about our faith at work, amongst our peers. It's easy also to abandon our Christian values uh, with other Christian people. We see this today with issues of racial justice. Sometimes being a Christian means advocating for racial justice. And when you do that, you can often get hate from other Christians who are saying you're getting too political. You are a social justice warrior. And it can create a lot of tension. Being a faithful follower is harder than ever today. It's hard to be a faithful follower of Jesus. You can upset people who are believers and unbelievers. You can upset people on the right and on the left. Uh, it's easy then just to want to stay quiet, to say nothing. So when people are around you and they say things like, man, Christians are, are ignorant, they're ruining this country. Or, man, can you believe those Black Lives Matter people with their riots, they're tearing down our city. And when you come across people with those opinions, it's easy to just change the subject. It's easy to just say, well, hey, what, what about those Lakers? You know, it's, it's exciting that the season is starting. It's easy to pivot and talk about traffic. Man, traffic is it's getting worse. That's one thing that unites all Angelinos. We all hate traffic. That's one thing that we can do to bring consensus Traffic has a 100% disapproval rating. We can all safely complain about traffic. It's easy uh, when we're faced with those kind of divisive issues simply to not engage, to stay silent about our faith, to stay silent about our convictions. Martin Luther King Jr. said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. King says that the true measure of a man, a woman, is where you stand when things are tough, when there's controversy, when there's challenges. That's how you know if you have character or not. We're living in a time when our character is being tested more than ever. Will we, will we speak truth? Will we stand? Will we have faith? Will we be faithful to God's calling in our life? How do we do that? Well, here's the second thing, the path of character. How do we develop this character so that we can stand in these times of trial? Daniel was a man of stunning character. We see this all throughout Daniel. He had the Spirit of God within, within him. He was not afraid of death or threats or kings or laws that were unjust. But here, his character will finally be put to the test. Uh, he knows all that the laws threaten him with being thrown in the lion's den. 
so what does Daniel do? For Daniel, praying was like breathing. <laughs> He's definitely not going to not pray. But one compromise is that he could pray in secret. You know, when I was in high school and I prayed before my lunch, I would often pray very casually like I wasn't. I'd yawn and pretend I was praying and pray real quick, drop something, pray real quick. I was ashamed of praying. I was secretly praying. Daniel could have done that. He could have secretly prayed. He could have prayed in his closet. Daniel could have compromised. He could have rationalized. But what does Daniel do? What does Daniel do in this moment? In verse 10, this is what he does. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. It says Daniel immediately goes home in open defiance of the edict. Gets on, he opens his windows like he always does. Prays toward Jerusalem, gets down on his knees, and he thanks God. He did what he always did. Why didn't Daniel pray in secret? That was a compromise that could have been struck. Why do you have to pray so publicly? And I believe the answer is that Daniel was a man of his conviction. And what he was doing was a revolutionary act. He was, by praying like he always prayed, showing who he served. He wanted to take a stand that this law was unjust. It was not right. When Daniel bowed to pray that day, he was declaring that God was his king. And he was unashamed, unafraid. He was taking a stand for his king, for his Lord. One commentator said that when prayer is fashionable, that's when you should pray in your closet in secret. But when prayer and faith is being pressured, that's when you should take a stand and pray in public. Often Christians are programmed to believe that we have to obey every law. But there are unjust laws. There are laws that uh, demean the image of God disrespect God. When, when there are unjust laws in our society, we can't just say, well, those are just the laws. We've got to be law-abiding citizens. Uh, this was the law of Persia. This was the law of the land. Yet, when laws are unjust, we are called, in fact, to vocally protest and disregard laws that do not honor God, that do not respect the image of of God in other people. Daniel is, his stand is, uh, is a key to what made him great. Uh, one of the reasons uh, this, this picture shows us how Daniel also became a man of character. How did he become someone who would, was able to take these stands against kings, against the threat of death? And this passage really shows us how he got there as well. The key to Daniel's character is that he built regular, daily spiritual habits. Notice what it says about him praying that day. We'll we'll read again verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel's prayer that day was part of his daily routine. He prayed three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. 
He, put, he got down on his knees. He thanked God. He was in a regular habit of prayer. That's one of the things that reasons he became great. The Bible doesn't prescribe how many times a day we should pray, but it does give us templates. It does give us patterns. Psalm 57, 17 says this, Every morning, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. We see again that pattern, evening, uh, afternoon, and morning. Jesus' prayer life also had a regular rhythm. What He would routinely uh, wake up early in the morning and spend the evening in prayer. What shaped Daniel's life were these rhythms. Remember earlier in Daniel, uh, he refused to eat from the king's table. And it says that three times a day he would eat vegetables. And that was a regular routine where he, every time he ate, he remembered who he was, who he served, who gave him strength. Daniel had these regular routines, eating, remembering, praying three times a day. And it was those routines, those rhythms that shaped his life. Daniel didn't become a man of character out of nowhere. He wasn't born with it. It was things that developed over time through these consistent habitual habits. James K. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, says that character is built through rhythms and routines and rituals enacted over and over again that implant in you a disposition to an end that becomes a character trait, a sort of learned second nature, default orientation that you tend toward without thinking about it. Uh, James Smith said that character is built through rhythm and routines that you consistently, habitually build so that it becomes an ingrained trait in you. So that without thinking, you're always going to tell the truth. Without thinking, you are going to love and sacrifice. Without thinking, you're going to be generous and faithful. That's character. It's built through these habitual habits. And that's how Daniel got there. You know, there's so many of us, we have negative habits and routines that are keeping us, uh, that are making us drift from God, that instilling us character habits that are very far from where God wants us. These habits can be as innocuous as the habit of looking at your phone every hour. It can be the habit of uh, uh, lust or sexual fantasies. It could be the habit of obsessing over your mistakes. And those habits build negative character traits in us. And what we need to do is begin to reinforce healthy habits that can train us to look to God, that can train us uh, to, to our hearts to rejoice in our God. So this week, one of the things I want to encourage you or challenge you with is to pray like Daniel prayed this week. Again, there, there's no... Uh, written requirement that we pray in a certain way certain times but it's a healthy template to at least try and I really want to encourage you this week to pray like Daniel prayed which was three times a day morning afternoon evening he prayed on his knees he prayed toward the city praying for the city and we the, the city needs prayer more than ever he prayed with thanksgiving 
And those were healthy habits that were ingrained in him. And I encourage you to do this, that this week, three times a day, on your knees, praying for the city with thanksgiving, trying to build a regular habit of prayer. So if you are going to take that challenge, I want you to write in the chat, chat box, I accept this challenge. And chat with people throughout the week. How are you doing with this? Set alarms. It doesn't have to be long prayers. Set an alarm for yourself to remember. Build regular habits that can shape your character and your spirit. But the ultimate thing is this. The story of Daniel is not about the power of habits, but the power of God. And what we want to look at finally is God's character. You know, when Daniel prays, he knows that it's a trap, but he prays anyways. And when all of these men see Daniel praying, they feel like he, Daniel fell into our trap. They go immediately to King Darius, report uh, Daniel. And when Darius hears it, he knows that his, his heart is broken. He loves Daniel. Uh, but he knows that his hands are tied. He has to order Daniel into the den of lions. And as he does it, he's brokenhearted about it. He says in verse 16, as he does that, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Darius, uh, after he's placed in places Daniel in a den, is distraught. He goes back to his temple. He fasts. He gets up first thing, break a dawn. Goes to the mouth of the lion's den and yells. And asks Daniel, is he okay? That God deliver you. And in verse 21, this is what Daniel says. And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Daniel is safe. There in the lion's den, God sends an angel to shut the, the mouths of the tiger. Those tigers were domesticated. They became like house cats. Daniel was able to be in that den of lions and survive. Daniel is the true tiger king. I couldn't help myself with that reference. He's the true tiger king. He survives. He thrives. And when King Darius hears it, he's thrilled. He gets Daniel out of that, that layer. And he flips the script on all the people who attack Daniel. He throws them into the lion's den. They're immediately killed and devoured. And there's this great reversal that happens. He sets up Daniel uh, to be the head. And he's exalted. The uh, passage ends with a psalm of praise to God. That's ultimately what this passage is about. This passage is ultimately not about Daniel's character, but God's character. God is the great deliverer. God is the one who rescues. God is the one who remembers and loves and hears his people. The story uh, of Daniel is ultimately a foreshadowing of the person of Jesus. We've compared Daniel's prayer life to Jesus. Uh, Daniel loved to pray. And while he's praying, he's found out and arrested. 
Same thing happens with Jesus. Jesus loved prayer. Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. Just like Daniel, uh, Daniel was arrested and King Darius, he had his hands tied. He couldn't do anything about it. He had to execute him. In the same way, Pilate, Jesus stood before Pilate. He knew he was innocent, but Pilate's hands were tied. He knew he had to execute him. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. A huge stone was placed over the pit. So Jesus, after he went to the cross, was placed in a grave and a huge stone was placed upon his tomb. In both Daniel and in the Jesus resurrection story, there's an angel accompanying both. But the ultimate difference is this. Daniel was threatened with death but didn't die. Jesus did die. And he overcame death and he resurrected. Daniel's story is just a foreshadowing of the greater story of Jesus. Jesus is the greater Daniel. He conquers sin and death for us. In him... We are forgiven. In Him we have life. In Him we have victory. It's all about Jesus. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson said that the lions in the Bible, they represent the chaos of this world, the darkness, sin, injustice. We, we feel and experience this chaos all around us today. This, this sigh, this cry, these waves of panic. And what this passage is saying is that Jesus, as the greater Daniel, will overcome, will shut the mouth of darkness. He will triumph and overcome and outlast all things. He will he will reconcile everything, including the darkness, and make it right. And that's the confidence that we have now. You know, as we close, Daniel outlasted kings. He lasted empires at the end of daniel the exiles are allowed to go back home he conquers all of it and he is a foreshadowing of this person jesus in jesus we're guaranteed we're going to get back home we're going to get through this exile that we feel now in him we have confidence in him we have a conquering king and the book of daniel says well right now uh, as we wait, live with faith, live with confidence, speak truth in love. Uh, speak and live uh, a life of justice, a life of confidence, a life of speaking and testifying about God. He is your conquering king. Uh, would you, in the meantime, become and develop habits? Because this world... In the midst of the lions, we need people of confidence, people of character. And would you continue to ask God, God, give me character. Build in me these habits that I can stand today, that I can declare in the midst of the chaos today that you are good. Would I have a hope that one day the exile would be over and we will be home with a true king one day. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for your faithfulness. And we know that ultimately you are the faithful one. And we give you thanks that even though our character is often lacking, you are a God of perfect character. And we rest in you. 
And we wait and long for a day that you will silence the mouths of the raging lions. We know that one day the lion will lay down with the lamb and that there will be an ultimate peace. But until that day comes, Lord, help us to have character, help us to have faith, help us to live with confidence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.